There's a phrase in the Bible, is of the Lord. It's used six times in the Scriptures. The interesting thing about that four-word phrase is the word is is italicized each time the phrase is used. As you know, when a word is italicized in the Bible, it simply means that it was added to the original text to make the verse easier to understand. And the most familiar use of the phrase is of the Lord is, as you know, found in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, which reads, Salvation is of the Lord. And the word is there is italicized. And it makes the original text actually read, Salvation of the Lord. It's in this blessed phrase, the verb is, is italicized and added, but it's always in agreement with the subject. Let me give you an example. If one discovers and says, there's a colony, there is a colony of ants underground, the colony of ants, the subject of that sentence agrees. This particular colony of ants is underground. If I make the statement 300 years is a long time, 300 years, the, the subject of which I speak agrees, and 300 years is a long time in comparison to my short time on earth. If a medical expert makes a statement, cancer is a disease that affects many people, cancer, the subject agrees. And it, it does affect many people. And when the Bible declares that salvation is of the Lord, the salvation of sinners, the subject agrees for salvation is of the Lord. Now the word is is added, but it's not needed. The word is doesn't change the meaning of the statement. Salvation of the Lord. Actually, I kind of like that translation. It cuts to the chase, doesn't it? Salvation, what about it? Of the Lord. Of the Lord. So this morning, I titled my message in the form of a question. What is of the Lord? Have you ever really thought about it? What is of the Lord? Well, whatever it is, it will agree with the subject. And the subject is everything is of the Lord. The subject is the Lord. There's nothing that is not of the Lord. Did you hear me? There is nothing that is not of the Lord. The subject is the Lord and everything that comes to pass is of Him. Now, I will say, and this goes without saying, that sin is not of the Lord. Sin is of man. Man rebelled against God. Man said, I'm not going to have God rule over me. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to do my own thing. That's of man. But there's nothing or anything other than sin that is not of the Lord. Now, I know this will cause some to fly hot. Not long ago, a man got upset and he stopped coming because I preach that everything is of the Lord. But I don't preach this because it's what I believe. Because what I believe really doesn't 
matter. I, I preach this because it's what God in His Word says. And I do believe it and that's why I preach it. Because that's what God says in His Word. What is of the Lord? Everything is of the Lord. God's Word is in agreement with that. Now by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. It is the Lord who predestinates, who predetermines, determines beforehand all things. And He does so according uh, to His own purpose and after the counsel of His own will. That reads pretty plainly there. The Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, said the same thing in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 10 and 11. He said, God, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, this is what God says, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's what God said. He said, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far, far country. God does that to accomplish His will if need be. He says, yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. That sounds to me like everything is of the Lord. Then it to you. Do we dare disagree with God Almighty? Nothing comes to pass apart from the permission of God. David said, but our God is in the heavens and He hath done what? Whatsoever He pleased. David went on to say, whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He. Where? In heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all deep places. This is what God says about Himself in this book. In other words, God is not only in control of all things, everything. God is the cause of all things and everything. This is why God alone can cause and make all things work together for the good of them who are the called according to what? Again, His purpose. All things work together for them because they are the ones that He has called. They're the ones that He saved. They're the ones that He gave to Christ. They are His people. And He, God, causes everything to work together for good for them. God purposes all things. God causes all things. God is in control of all things. And all things come to pass according to God's purpose. All things and everything is of the Lord. Why would that upset anyone? In Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to have you turn to several Scriptures so don't get too comfortable. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, the Lord said, All things are delivered unto Me of My Father. All things were given unto Christ's hands. This is why our Lord said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And friends, all things are not only possible, but they're certain. 
if God purposes and determines to bring them to pass. Even before His death, the Lord prayed to His heavenly Father and He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto Thee. Take away this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what Thou wilt. You see, the child of God, the true believer, learns to pray for their, the will of their heavenly Father. Not my will. And we've learned from experience, haven't we? That what we will and won't isn't always what's best for us. Most of the time, it's not. But all that God wills for us and all that God purposes for us is always for our good. Because He who causes all things is all things is working those things together <laughs> for our good. I love that. That doesn't make me mad. That makes me glad. He does all things well for our, for our good, His glory, and for Christ's sake. So, with all that said, I want to give you these six instances where the phrase is of the Lord are given and the subject of each. So, each. So first turn with me to Proverbs chapter 16. Right after the book of Psalms, Proverbs chapter 16. And I want you to look at verse 33. We've already discussed this first instance in some detail. And that simply is that everything that comes to pass, everything that happens, is of the Lord. Psalm, uh, Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs 16, verse 33. You got it? Here, Solomon writes, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is what? Is of the Lord. <laughs> now that word disposing there gives reference to a, a legal term that you're familiar with, and that is the word Verdict. God, the judge of all, always, now listen, always gives the verdict, whether it's favorable or unfavorable. The lot is cast, but God disposes, God determines, God decides, God gives His verdict as to how it turns out. Men throw the dice to no prevail, but it's the Lord who determines how the dice fall. This refers to God's divine providence. Divine providence, I've said this many times, I can't think of a better definition, but it's God working out in time what He purposed to do before time ever was. There's, let me let you in on a secret. There's no such thing as luck. Did you know that? There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as being lucky or unlucky. I, there's probably not a day goes by where I hear, don't hear somebody talking about that. Boy, he sure is lucky. No, he's not. He's unlucky. No, no, he's not. <laughs> luck doesn't have anything to do with it. Remember, God works all things after what? The counsel of His own will. Now, do you believe that? That's what the Scriptures teach. According to His omnipotent purpose. We've already read it. The purpose of God always stands. Not by man's hands. Not by man's way. Not by man's will. Not by man's work. Not uh, 
by anything that we do, but by the hand that no man can stay. His hand. By the will and work that no man can accomplish. His will, His work, His way. By the authority that no man can question. Who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why have you made me this way? No, we don't question him. He's God. None can stay his hand. None can say unto him, what doest thou? None of us can question he who rules all things. And those who walk in pride, Nebuchadnezzar said, God is able to abase. He's able to humble and subdue. Again, in Isaiah chapter 5, the sovereign God declares these words. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. People get upset if you charge God with, with uh, creating darkness and creating evil. And the Scriptures say, Woe unto him that striveth with his Maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work? He hath no hands. Let men who are made of earthen vessels, just clay, let them strive with other men who are made of the same mass and lump, just clay, but those who strive, those who contend, those who enter into controversy with God will soon perish with the doing. Does the clay have the right to question what the sovereign potter, potter makes it to be? Will the clay, the, the earthen vessel, dare declare that God, the only potter, has no hands, no power, no skill to make, form, or fashion the clay as He sees fit? Paul said it this way, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump? Make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? The disposing of all things is of the Lord. The second instance of the phrase is of the Lord is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. Look there with me. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to turn you to at least six Scriptures. 2 Kings chapter 6. We're 2 Kings right after 1 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6. Let me uh, give you the story here. If you've uh, found the passage, according to verse 25, there's a, a great famine in the land. God sent the famine. That's who brings about famine, right? It's not the devil. It's the same one who brings about all things. It's God that sends famine. Now in this famine, we're told that an ass's head, a donkey head, sold for 80 pieces of silver. People were so hungry that they were scraping what little bit of meat off a donkey's head. 
to eat. It says that a dove's dung, you know what that is. You can find it on your car. <laughs> Sold for five pieces of silver. People were so famished that that's what they were eating. Can you imagine how hungry folks were during this famine? So hungry that mothers ate their own children. Look at verse 26. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son, that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son. And did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she had hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall. And the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth, sackcloth within upon his flesh. In other words, he in mourning over this. Um, put on this sackcloth. And as you can see, the king of Israel here was deeply grieved. He was angry. But it was not with himself. He was angry with God. But he couldn't get his hands on God, so the next best person was the prophet of God. And in verse 31, we see that uh, Jehoram desired the head of Elijah, the prophet of God. But he made this statement. He was at least honest enough with himself to admit that his real anger was with God. And look what, he, what the king said in verse 83. Behold, this evil is of the Lord. This is of the Lord. The Lord did this. The Lord caused this. The Lord brought this famine. The Lord famished these people. The Lord is behind this. Evil, calamity is of the Lord. We read a moment ago where God said, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. In Amos chapter 3, verse 6, the Lord God Almighty said these words concerning Himself. Listen to them closely. Shall there be evil in a city? And the Lord hath not done it. Now the word evil in this verse means adversity, it means affliction, it means calamity, distress, grief. It's the Lord that sends all these things. It's the Lord that sends trouble. It's the Lord that sends sorrow. It's the Lord that vexes. It's the Lord that brings about disasters. You know, insurance policies years ago used to call earthquakes and tornadoes and things like that an act of God. You know what they're called today? Unforeseen accidents. No, that's not right. Get it right the first time. They're acts of God. There's no such thing as an unforeseen accident to one who sees all things and causes all things. And no such thing, unforeseen accident. There's no accidents in a world that that is 100% controlled by God who causes all things to come to pass. 
You remember what the Lord said? I, the Lord, do all these things. I create evil. I form darkness. And here's the thing, friends. He does them on purpose. That's what Paul is referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 when he wrote, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Oh, don't we? We try to persuade men and women. What think ye of Christ? Oh, you don't want to go out and meet God without a substitute. You don't want to go out and meet God without a, without a, a righteous covering. Why? Uh, you, you need to learn something of the terror of the Lord. David said, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. We talked about that in the first hour. What's good, David? Why is that good that you've been afflicted? That I might learn thy statutes. And as you know, that word statutes means appointments. You can look it up for yourself in the concordance. It's exactly what it means. That I might learn your appointments, the things that you sent. Well, God, when you afflict me, when you send me trouble, I'm learning something about you. I'm learning something about my dependence that I need to depend on you for everything. It's good, it's profitable, it's necessary that God should and would and does afflict us with trouble that we might learn that it's God who sent the trouble, appointed the affliction, and He did so for our what? Good. Jack Shanks used to say for our good. It's good, isn't it? It's good. That we might lean on Him. That we might trust the Lord God. The, one, the only one who could remove our trouble and afflictions. Knowing that it was Him that sent them for our good and His glory. That, that hymn we sing, More love to Thee, more love to Thee, O God. Have you ever noticed the words of the third verse there? It says, let sorrow do its work. It says, sin, grief, and pain. Now, who in their right mind would, would sing that? Lord, let's all do this work, sin, grief, and pain. Only those who know that it's for their good. That's why God sends sorrow, grief, and pain to do His work, to wean us from this world. <laughs> why, if we never had any sorrow or sickness or pain or grief or affliction, well, we wouldn't want to leave here. Some of us don't want to leave now with all those things. But, boy, I tell you, when God sends sorrow, you're like, I'm ready to get, I'm ready to exit here. I'm ready to go. Isn't that how the Lord works? He sends these things to wean us from this world, to cause us to trust in Him alone, to make us see that He's the only one who can help us. God sends the sorrow, the grief, pain, and affliction. And many times, those He sends it to don't run to Him. They run from Him. I don't understand that. I could give you names right now. Names that you all know that have done just that. God sent them trouble. God sent them loss. God sent them sickness. God sent them grief. God sent them pain. And they ran away. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you, 
Those of you that have stayed, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. What do you know? That God is in control of everything. That God sends grief and pain and He does it for our good. God makes these things manifest. Uh, referring to the Egyptians who enslaved His people, Psalm seventy-eight forty-nine says this, He cast upon them the fierceness of His anger. In a day where we don't hear anything but the love of God. Well, God loves people too much to punish them. God loves people too much. Uh, God loves the world too much. No, the fierceness of His anger, wrath and indignation and trouble by sending evil angels among them. Who did that? God did that. He made a way to His anger. He spared not their soul from death, but gave their life over to pestilence. And He smote all the firstborn in Egypt. God sent flies. God sent gnats. God sent frogs. God did that. Trouble, affliction, loss, condemnation, sickness, grief, pain, calamity, disasters, all refer to evil. It is of the Lord. The third instance of the phrase is of the Lord's found in Psalm 37. Turn there with me. Psalm 37, verse 39. Psalm 37, 39. Look what it says here, verse 39, Psalm 37. But the salvation of the righteous is italicized of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. Not the salvation of the whole world. Not everyone in the world. Not the unrighteous of the world. Not those in the world that believe not. But those in the world that the Lord Jesus calls to believe. Those that the Lord Jesus Himself made righteous. John 3.16 Heard it all my life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Who did God love so much in the world that He gave His only Son to? It tells us right there that whosoever believeth in Him, in Christ, they, those who believe in Christ, they should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not those who don't believe in Him. That isn't who He sent His Son to die for. They're condemned already. For God so loved those in the world that believe on Him. That's who He's talking about. That's who He loves. That's who He died for. That's who He came to save. The very next verse, verse 17, For God sent, his, sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is what? Condemned already. Because, this is why, He hath not believed on the only begotten in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Christ came into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Because, this is why, their deeds are, were evil. 
For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, and neither cometh to the light, lest his deed should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they're wrought in God. Our righteousness, any goodness that we have, is only in Jesus Christ. God doesn't love those who hate His Son. Christ didn't die for those who hate Him without a cause. That's why the psalmist said the salvation of the righteous, those whom He has made righteous, those who believe, those whom God made righteous in Christ, those that believe in Him. Their salvation is of the Lord. Not the unrighteous, not the unbelieving, not those who love darkness. Any righteousness, now listen, any righteousness that we have is of the Lord. Being made righteous is of the Lord. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For He, God, hath made Him, Christ, to be sin for us. Sinners! Wretched, depraved sinners. Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin. That we, the horrific sinners that we are, might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We're made righteous. We're not righteous. We're made righteous. We're made righteous in Him, in Christ. It's called substitution. Christ was made sin for us. We were made righteous in Him. That's beautiful. That's, that's glorious. I who was nothing but sin, Christ took that sin upon Himself. God punished our sin on Him and in Him. And in return, Christ gave us His perfect righteousness. That's why we're righteous in Him. The salvation of the righteous is what? It's of the Lord. God punished Christ for our sin and God rewarded us for His righteousness. That is an amazing transaction. There's never been another one like it ever made. Payment for sin God cannot twice demand. First from my bleeding surety's hand and then again from mine. Mr. Top Lady had that right. God is too holy and He's too just to do so. His holy and strict justice will not allow it. If Christ took my sin and gave me His righteousness, God's holy law and strict justice cannot require or demand anything from you and me. Oh, you missed a good opportunity to say amen right there. The fourth instance of what, it, what is of the Lord. Lamentations chapter 3. Find Proverbs and just keep turning until you get to Lamentation right after Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Lamentations chapter 3 and look at verse 22. Jeremiah, Isaiah, I mean, uh, Jeremiah and then... Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 22. What is of the Lord? Verse 22 tells us. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because, 
This is why His compassions fail not. The only reason that any of us aren't consumed in the wrath and the judgment, righteous indignation, is because of the Lord's mercies to us. This is an agreement with the Word of God, is it not? Psalm 86.15, Nevertheless, for Thy great mercy's sake, Thou hast not utterly consumed them, nor forsake them, for Thou art a gracious and a merciful God. But Thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. That's why. That's why. To those who believe that Christ died for all, to those who think that God loves everyone, does God, I have to ask, does God have mercy on everyone? In Romans chapter 9, verse 15, oh, he's going to Romans again. Well, where else are we going to go? Romans 9, verse 15, For God saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, if God has mercy and compassion on whom He wills, so then, it is not of Him that willeth, take your free will and throw it out the window, it's not of Him that willeth, nor of Him that runneth, it's not you coming from the back of the church to the front of the church. Not of Him that runneth, but of God. But of God. But of God that showeth mercy. If anyone has shown mercy and compassion, it's because God was and is pleased to show mercy and compassion to them. No other reason. No reason outside of Himself does God show mercy and compassion. To anyone. Why, if, if it was something that I deserved, if it was something that I earned, if it was something that I merited, then salvation is of me. The only reason that all of us are not in hell is because of the Lord's mercies to us. One to whom the Lord shows mercy can never be lost. How do I know that? Because His compassions fail not. You know what He said, Tom? They're new every morning, He said in verse 23. New every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Now there it is. <laughs> that's, that's why they're new every morning. Because He's faithful that promised. God is faithful that promised. I've told you many times that it's not our faith that saves us. It's God's faithfulness to us. Great is His faithfulness. His faithfulness is so great that it never fails. It's due to His unfailing mercy that we're not consumed. That's what the Lord said. The Lord said, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, this is why ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. That's the only reason none of us are consumed. None that trust and believe in, in the Lord Jesus. Okay, the fifth instance of what is of the Lord. Look at Proverbs again, this time chapter 21, verse 31. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31. 
Here Solomon writes, verse 31, chapter 21, the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. In Psalm 20, it is said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 33, verse 17, a horse is a vain thing for safety, neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and he is our shield. Isaiah 31.1 Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they're very strong, but they look not to the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. That word safety here in verse 31 means victory. Where do you seek help? Where do you seek safety? Victory in time of trouble. From Egypt? which represents the world? Are you going to find it from the world? Do you trust in the world for safety? Do you trust in the world for, for victory? Do you go to the world for help? You better not. They're said to be many. They're said to be strong. People say there's safety in numbers. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Neither seek they the Lord. I want you to look down to Psalm 121 and I'll, I'll begin to wrap this up. But look at Psalm 121. Just eight verses here. I want to read them all to you. They say so much. Psalm 121, verse 1. The psalmist says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee, he will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Now where does true help come from? From the Lord. He's the one who made heaven and earth. He's the one who never slumbers nor sleeps. He's the one who preserves us from all evil. He's the one who can preserve and keep our souls. The only one who can preserve our going out and our coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Listen, in all transactions of business and life, in all ways, works, and conversation, in all affairs, civil or religious, He not only preserves He prospers us in all these things. 
doesn't mean your bank account's going to get bigger. It don't mean that you're going to have a bigger house. It means that you're going to prosper in all spiritual things. That God's going to do you eternally good. God's out to do you good. Eternally good. The Lord not only prospers people in life, He prospers them in death. As I said earlier, to die is gain. It's a promotion. It's a departure onto something better. Not only on this earth, but for all eternity in heaven, we're kept safe from men and devils, from wrath and malice of both. Safety and victory is ours by Christ's finished work. God has accepted His work and He's accepted us in Him. Have you ever heard such good news? And let me give you the last thing quickly. It brings us to the sixth and last thing that is of the Lord. You already know what it is. I, I, I won't take the time to turn you there. We mentioned it in the beginning. Jonah 2.9 Salvation of the Lord. You see, friends, since everything, since all things is of the Lord, then salvation, eternal life, must be of the Lord. It just must be. If everything, all things, is of the Lord, then salvation must be of the Lord. Well, we didn't save ourselves. If we did, salvation would not be of the Lord, would it? Salvation would be of me, me, David Lee. But it's not of me, it's of the Lord. We didn't cooperate with God to save ourselves. God didn't uh, make salvation possible and then because of something that I added to it, He saved me. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not a cooperative effort between me and God. It's of the Lord. He did it all. He did the saving. I did the sinning. He did the saving. We're saved by grace through faith. Not of ourselves. Paul was quick to add that. Not of ourselves. Not of works that we may boast. You know what? Men will boast. Well, Lord, haven't we done many wonderful works in our name? Haven't we cast out devils? Haven't we done this? Haven't we done that? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Your works are just works of iniquity. I never knew you. The the salvations of the Lord because God, before the foundation of the world, set His affection and His heart upon a wretch like me that didn't deserve it before I'd done any good or evil that the purpose of God might stand. Not of works, but of Him that called me and saved me by His grace. That's what I'm talking about. Salvation of the Lord. Our salvation is a gift of God. A gift is not something that you earn. It's not something that you deserve. It's not something that you merit. A gift is what it says it is. It's a gift. <laughs> something that is freely given. That's what a gift is. He loved us freely without a cause. Freely. That's what that means. Without a cause. No reason that He should love me. No reason that He should save me. He just did it because He did it. Salvation of the Lord. It's God's gift to His people. Aren't you glad it's a gift? I certainly am.